Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Lord, we thank you for holy moments. We thank you for moments where you grace us with your presence. We thank you for moments, O Lord, where you interrupt. Interrupt us in our tracks, Lord, in mid-stride. And you call us to turn aside to you like you did Moses on that day when you revealed yourself on the burning bush. And it wasn't until he turned aside, Lord, that you began to speak out his name and, and call him unto yourself and bring revelation to him and bring purpose to his life. Bring direction to his life, the destiny that you had given to him and the role that he would play in the life of Israel and in the role that he would play in their freedom and in their deliverance. That is the simplicity, Lord, that we long for, just to be stopped in our tracks, God, and turn aside to you and to listen to what your heart has for us, God, and to be captivated by you, Lord, and to dialogue with you, to ask you questions, and to hear your answers of reassurance, Lord, to us, that we have what it takes because you are with us, God. And so I bless you, Lord. I thank you for these days, God, that we have been able to turn aside to you, for the times that we've gathered as discipleship groups, Lord, for the times that we've gathered gathered in prayer meetings to turn aside to you, Lord to look to you, and we bless you, Lord. I feel your presence. I know that you are with us, God, and I'm asking, Lord, that my brothers and sisters at home would feel that this morning also. They would know your presence, and that right now you would call them to turn aside to you so that they can hear the goodness of what you have in store for them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are in the Timothys, which 1st and 2nd Timothy are letters written by the Apostle Paul, specifically to Timothy, whom he calls a son in the faith. The Timothys are often called, Timothys are often called pastoral epistles, because essentially it's a pastor writing a letter to, past, to a pastor. And Timothy is tasked, because we've read through it and you've read through it, Timothy is, is tasked with pastoring the church of Ephesus, which includes 
teaching them, includes caring for them, includes correcting falsehood, whether it be moral sin or issues of false doctrine, this is what a shepherd does. He is also tasked not just with shepherding the the people of Ephesus, but with appointing elders and deacons for the good of the church. And I think Pastor Jim in the next couple of weeks uh, in the near future will talk about what it looks like, what is a qualification of a church leader uh, so that you have something to look forward to. Uh, Pastor Jim will bring that to our attention. But today, I'm focusing our attention on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, where uh, if you've read the, the book of the Timothys, as uh, we have done as a church, you recognize that Paul's posture and Paul's purpose for Timothy in writing these letters is to encourage him. Paul is a champion. One of the things that I appreciate about Rick Pino is that he has brought to the forefront for me what ministry looks like. In a sense, what apostolic ministry looks like. And as we've said, that apostolic ministry primarily focuses on building a culture that is more like a family, a family culture. And one of the things that a father does is that a a good father, if he's going to impart anything to his children, a good father is going to cease from competing with his children to encouraging them, calling out what is good in them, calling out their destiny, and, and speaking into that and directing them. And when they divert from their destiny or their calling or their purpose that has been discerned by the Father or by being in community with one another, then he encourages, he brings them back to his calling, brings them back to, uh, to the place where, where he can fan into flame, really where, they can, where that person could flourish. So what Paul is doing in addressing Timothy is he's creating for him the greatest possibility for him to flourish, the greatest possibility of effectiveness, and the greatest possibility of, uh, of him living out his destiny and his calling in the Lord. And one thing you need to know is that a father knows his children, and so a father in the faith needs to know his children, and we know We know that Paul knows Timothy, and so in knowing him, he can encourage him. In what ways will he encourage him? Uh, He will encourage Timothy because he knows that Timothy is one of good reputation. He entered into relationship with Timothy knowing that he, he was one of good reputation. He knows that Timothy is a man of sincere faith. He knows that Timothy has received gifts from the Holy Spirit, has received prophetic words that are informing his life choices, his ministry effectiveness, and his perseverance in the faith. Timothy has received these things. He also knows, Paul knows that Timothy is tested and approved, and he also knows that Timothy is able to handle the word of truth correctly. We all need fathers in the faith to come alongside of us who will not compete with us, but empower us and lead us and constantly call us to our destiny 
and where we belong. Paul is also writing to Timothy because he's afraid of a trend. Maybe fear is too, too much of a, too heavy of a word for that. But there is concern for Timothy because others who have been around Timothy and who have been under the ministry of, of Paul have been ashamed of Paul and Paul's chains to the point where they've distanced themselves from Paul and the message that Paul brings. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him in such a way that he would not distance himself from Paul, not distance himself from the, the testimony of the Lord, but to, to walk in that. And so our passage comes in the wake of this. One of the other ways that Paul charges Timothy is to be faithful and to take hold of the calling. So the ways that he encourages him is he tells him in 2 Timothy 1.6 to fan into flame the gift. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 14, he encourages him not to be ashamed. He also encourages him to follow the pattern of sound doctrine, to guard the deposit entrusted to him, to find strength in the grace that in, is in Christ Jesus, and to pass on what he has heard. So today, that's what we're going to address. We're going to address the overarching method by which believers and emerging leaders are developed. So we're going to read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 together. could possibly be on the screen, so... We'll read that together. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to, cheat, to teach others also. This passage essentially focuses on emerging leaders. And emerging leaders, and I would say all believers, are developed by being recipients of sound teaching and also passing on what has been given to you. So emerging leaders are developed by being recipients of sound teaching and passing on what has been given to you. And like a good uh, studier of the Bible, you need to see if First or Second Timothy chapter two verse two is consistent with Jesus's pattern, right? Because essentially, to make disciples is to do what Jesus was doing, and so the goal is to make disciples that have the heart, the mind, and the actions of Christ at the forefront. That's what we're going towards. So, what is what Paul saying to Timothy? consistent with what Jesus has done, and I would say so, that it is. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, it says of Jesus, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So what is Jesus's plan? to call unto him those whom he desired. I would say these are the faithful ones, or at least the ones who will be faithful. 
because we know they get scattered after Jesus uh, is crucified. And he, he, his purpose is that they, he would call them unto himself, that they might be with him so that he might send them out to preach. So essentially, they're going to receive from Jesus and then, in, then later on will be the ones to go and impart into others. So it's receiving and imparting. It's being a recipient of sound teaching and passing it on to those that the Lord has entrusted to you. And Jesus' plan has not changed. So after he rises from the dead and before he ascends to heaven, what does he tell his disciples? In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the disciples, he gave the charge to go, go and preach, go and make disciples. And what are they to do? Impart the sound teaching that Jesus has given to them into others because emerging leaders or all believers are developed by being recipients of sound teaching and passing on what has been given to them. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is answer two questions. How is one developed? And second, how do we develop others? How is one developed and how do we develop others? So let's talk about ourselves. First of all, you and I can only be developed by the living and transforming word of God. You come into a relationship with the Lord by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. You are sustained by the word of God. You grow according to the word of God. And, and part of this is an understanding of the gospel and a whole counsel of God. So when we talk about living, by, uh, living in the, and uh, sorry, living by and being transformed by the Word of God, what we're talking about is understanding the gospel and understanding what Paul calls the whole counsel of God. The gospel is essentially the events in Jesus's life and also the implications of those events. So his life, his death, his resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus, the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he, uh, I've given to you what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and it goes on to say, and he appeared to many. Essentially, that's the gospel, that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. The other things that are true of those, so those are the events, but what are the implications of the gospel? The implications is, and in Jesus doing all of these things is that he would redeem you, he would buy you from a life of slavery to sin and set you free to a life of righteousness in him. He would also forgive you 
of your sins. He would take care of the offenses that you and I have between God and us, and he would, by his life, his death, and his resurrection and exaltation, take care of the sins that cause division between us and God through forgiveness. He would also justify us that in God's court we wouldn't be considered as guilty, but rather righteous and good. Only Jesus could do that for us. The implication also is that we would be reconciled. So not just that we are no longer offensive to God, but that we can have relationship with God. That we can have a father-son or father-daughter relationship with God. Jesus' desire was to bring us to the Father. The other idea, the other implication is that we would be adopted as sons and daughters of God and that adoption is certain and sure and enduring and it will never end. Another implication of the gospel is that we would have eternal life, that there would be no death for us even after we cease from living on this earth. There will be no second death. There will be eternal life with God forever. The other implication is faith. That if all of this is true, that if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of this gets applied to you. So understanding the living and transforming or living by the the transforming word of God includes the gospel, both the events of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. And I just gave you a footnote There's so much more that could be said about the gospel, and that's beautiful. The other thing that you should understand is living uh, the whole counsel of God, coming to an understanding of what Paul calls the whole counsel of God. What does that include? It includes understanding the person of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It it includes understanding the character of God, his goodness, his righteousness, his omnibenevolence, his omniscience, his his ever-presence, right? And also his power. Understanding the attributes of God. Understanding the will and the purposes of God. The whole counsel of God probably would include understanding the origin of man, the fall of man, the redemption of man, and the future, the destiny of man. The whole counsel of God might include the conduct by which you and I live. So if we're going to be developed by sound teaching, we need the living word of God living and and moving through us. It is the active and living word, as Hebrews says, Letting it judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and bringing forth uh, such equipping in us that we would be equipped for every good work, as Paul says later on in 2 Timothy, right? All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. We need the living and transforming word of God. The other way that one is developed is by choosing to live life by the Spirit of God. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to expound upon all of this. But choosing to live by the Spirit of God. When Jesus saves us, he also imparts in us his Spirit. And his spirit in us is not just a force around us, but Jesus says it is a person within us. 
Jesus uses pronouns. It says, he will be with you. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. And the Holy Spirit will empower you. Today is the day of Pentecost, according to the Christian calendar. And today is the day where the believers, the the apostles who were praying in in the upper room, where they received the consolation of feeling like an orphan. Remember what Jesus said to them. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, but when I go, it's better that I go so that I will send the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, who were gathered in that upper room, received on that day the consolation or the the promise of of the Father, the Holy Spirit who would indwell them, who who would now empower them, but also console them so that they no longer feel as orphans, but that they have a tangible experience with the Holy Spirit entering into them, and they know and they're confident that Jesus is with them. You know that in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. So Jesus was right in saying that I will be with you even to the end of the age. Not only is he enthroned in the heavens and he's omnipresent, he is indwelling us by the Holy Spirit. He is within us. Amen? I praise the Lord. And so the good thing is, is that because of the salvation, because of the reconciliation, because of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, I have the ability, you and I have the ability to choose to live life by the Spirit or not. And so if you're going to be developed, you not only need, sorry, you not only need the living and transforming Word of God, you need to choose to live life by the Spirit of God. Amen? And I would presume and, and put before you that that takes a lifetime, right? To have every area of lives devoted and, and, and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That is the progressive work of the Lord in our lives. Thirdly, how is one developed? by entering into a discipleship relationship with someone who has matured in the faith. So the plan hasn't changed. You need God to minister within you, and you need a brother or a sister to walk beside you. You and all, all of us, you and I, all of us need this. And at varying stages and at varying degrees in our lives, I'm not saying that every one of us needs a Paul or a father in the faith for the rest of our lives, but at least for a season of our lives, we need that. Got it? But all of us should be looking, uh, we should all be able to point back to those in, in our progression and in our development as believers in the Lord. We should all be able to look back and say, this person, that person, that person, poured into my life, shared their life with me, and I'm better for it. I remember when I was just like 13 or 14 years old, uh, we had a mailman who would work, who would come to our church. We call him, he's the mailman. His his name is Jack. And uh, the Lord brought him to mind to me 
because I remember being on North Street right before Brawls at his house where he lived. He, he was a mailman in, in our neighborhood, did, uh, did church in our neighborhood and served in our neighborhood, but he took like five of us teenagers under his wing for a time and I was, and, and brought us, he would bring us out of our neighborhood, come, we would come to the oasis of Mayfair um, <laughs> and enjoy that, uh, that time with him in his home where he would ask us questions and we'd, we'd speak out of our hearts, speak out of our struggle and, and he would patiently seek to encourage us. And I, as I look back at those moments, I'm like, dude, this is like group therapy time. And how did you handle all of this? Like, because there must have been like slow growth and, and, and there must have been great work of the spirit in him to persevere, to deal with like the, us five who would go off on tangents, who would uh, come back week after week with the same struggle not seeing the word of God do its magic in us, right? Um, I, but what I, what, I, what I told him this week, I was, I was preparing, I was like, you know, I'm, I just thank you. I told him, I thank you. I thank you for being patient. And I thank you for taking the time to pull us teenagers and bring us to your house and pour into us, pray with us, encourage us, and however imperfect it was, it was still beneficial for me. It was still valuable for me. And so I, then I think later on in my life, while I was in college, there was this guy named Frank Henson who is very dear, and I thanked him again this week. I, I just went down the line. I'm like, thank you, thank you. And I, I thank him for his, his patience or his friendship, but also the moments in which he became a father to me. He was essential. There are times when I thought that leaving college would solve our, my family issues because then I could go and get a job and help my family out so that we don't lose the house that we were living in. But he encouraged me to continue on. He would actually drive me from Philly to college, from college to Philly to do worship at, at the church where I am. And we'd have long conversations about life, about struggles, and, and he was a listening ear, right? And then when I graduated college, I was an integrated part of their family, um, went on vacations with them, went to Thanksgiving with them in North Carolina, uh, ate his wife's, uh, learned a good lesson, don't eat the last piece of bacon when your wife is pregnant, right? Or the last Welch's fruit snack, right? Uh, if, she, if she ever watches this, she understands She's forgiven me. But anyways, I was, an into, I was part of their family. It wasn't just that I was uh, just like the straggler coming along, but a welcomed person, a trusted person. When they would leave out of town, I'd watch their house for them, take care of their dog for them. So it was, it was a family. I was being brought into a family, and it was important for that sta stage of my life, Right? And so, in this stage of my life, I'm searching. I'm, I'm like, all right, I need, I need more of these relationships who can pour into me. And I'm in, the, in a place where I'm like, all right, bring, Lord, bring this person to me. I need somebody for this stage of my life. I'm raising kids, 
pastor, live in Kensington. That's a unique situation, I think. Um, but anyways, entering, you're developed by entering into a discipleship relationship with someone who has matured in the faith. And I said matured, that doesn't mean that they reach full maturity. It just means that they're further along than you. Just few years, four years, three years, and years don't, don't even matter because years don't equate maturity, right? Those g- persons, a man or a woman who has let the word of God transform them and who have chosen to live life by the spirit, those are the people that you want to spend time with, right? And that's how you're developed. Amen? Excuse me real quick. If you are interested in entering into that kind of relationship, a discipleship relationship, I would encourage you to ask if you're either a new believer, someone who just came to faith, or someone who's just realizing, wow, I have a lot to learn about this following Jesus stuff, then I would encourage you, you could do these things. You could either talk to Pastor Jim or I or uh, one of our elders the other elder, Elder Glenn, <laughs> Elder Glenn Miller. Does that make you feel old, Glenn? He's in the room right now. You can ask us who we would recommend for a discipleship relationship because chances are we can tell you, we can point out in our church family who's, who would be a good fit for you. The other thing you can do is you can attend a discipleship group at any point in the week, minus Wednesdays. Uh, maybe that will change in the future. There, there's a discipleship group happening, happening. One of the things that I'm encouraged by Paul before he left uh, the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he told them, I went through the public, uh, I, I preached in public, I went from house to house, and we also know that he had a, a core group of people. Jesus did the same thing. He had the 72, and out of the 72, he had the 12, and out of the 12, he had the three right, that, that we're in tight relationship with him. And there's varying degrees of, of relationships. And so a, a discipleship group, going to a discipleship group will help you uh, discern who would be a good fit for you to meet with. You could meet a woman or a man in the faith who, who is mature in the faith in one of these discipleship groups and make the decision for yourself. The other thing that you should do is when you enter in these relationships is spend intentional one-on-one time with one another. And it doesn't have to be one-on-one. It could be two-on-one or three-on-one. But spending intentional time where the word and the application to the word is central, where questions are asked and answered, where character can be developed, where concerns and desires can be lifted up in prayer, and where worship of the Lord and ministry to others can be modeled. That's why it's important to get into these discipleship relationships. And one of the ways that we provide that as, as, as a church is by having discipleship groups. The next question is, how do we develop others? Some of you are like, all right, I'm in those relationships. I have uh, benefited from that. I feel maybe by this moment that I should be investing in someone else or someone younger in the faith. How do we develop others? First of all, you're not going to develop others if you don't embrace this as your responsibility. Right? This is the epitome of embracing the Great Commission. We often think of the Great Commission being go to foreign lands 
and preach the gospel and get people saved, that's part of it. But also making disciples is getting the saved matured. So it is preaching the gospel to those who don't know and, and, and maybe the Lord would convert them and bring them into the fold, but it is also walking alongside them so that they would mature in the faith. We need to embrace this as our responsibility as a church. That's why our vision, our vision is to make disciples that sustain revival. It's not the pastoral vision. It's not just the elders' vision or the board's vision. It's our, the membership of Truvine. It is our vision to embrace and, and live out this disciple-making strategies that we have. The second thing you could do is to determine who the faithful ones are. Paul said that you would entrust these things to faithful ones who will be able to teach others. And like I said before, I think I mentioned it subtly, is that the, those who are the faithful ones are the, would be considered the new believers or those in prolonged, I would say those new believers and those in prolonged Christian infancy, Right? There's prolonged adolescence, and that's the reality in the, in the faith. As we are, there are, there's the reality that we, that there are, excuse me, I'm stumbling. There's the reality that we have prolonged infancy within our churches. And we don't need that. We need mature believers in the Lord. So determine who the faithful ones are. These are the ones who have forsaken their former lives for the sake of Christ. These are the ones who are devouring the word of God on their own, right? Searching and they're hungry, they're, they're just taking it all in. These are the ones who are asking questions and looking for answers, not just asking questions so that they can keep you far, but actually to, to draw closer to you and seek answers. These are the ones who are convinced. To be faithful is essentially to be convinced, right? totally convinced. So we ought to determine who the faithful ones are. And this is not like a Hunger Games or like a draft in any way. I gotta, I pick this one, I pick that one. No, this is just a, a, a desire for a, a something. Jesus says, don't cast the pearls to swine, right? And that's not to degrade anybody, but there are people who will waste your time. And those are the ones I would say don't be a disciple who wastes others' times and not do the work of applying the word of God to your life or choosing to live by the Spirit. Can you be imperfect and have moments where you lapse? Absolutely. But don't let that be the case. I've been in discipleship relationships where the person just wants to hear what they want to hear and not hear what the word of God has to hear, has to say about the matter. And they're not interested in making adjustments, but meeting to you, with you just to gripe with you or gripe to you without making any adjustments in their lives. And, and I'll tell you, as a discipler, that's draining. That's not life-giving to me. That's just like, oh, do I really want to spend this, this hour of my life with this person, right? So if you're going to be one who is developed, then have the mentality of letting the Word of God richly dwell in you, transform you, change you, and then do, let, let the Spirit do His work and align yourself with that. If we want to develop others, then we need to make ourselves available and offer up our time. 
Sometimes the Lord might bring to your mind, hey, this is a person that you, I want you to invest time with. And you and I ought to, do, ought to be listening for those, those promptings by the Spirit and follow through with that. We need to listen and follow through with those promptings of the Holy Spirit. The other thing that you and I need to do or be aware of is that if we're going to develop others, uh, developing others is not you having all the answers. It's you joining in with what God is already doing. So it's less pressure on you. It's not for you to control. It's not for you to micromanage their lives. It's you joining them where they are and letting your life, how God has transformed your life, how his word has informed your life, how the spirit leads your life, letting those things come forth within the context of that relationship and, and living that out together for a time. And this doesn't have to be a forever thing. This is going to be a for a time thing. And we can talk about strategies on how to do that, right? And the best practices. Um, Pastor Jim and I and Glenn would be willing to talk to you about that or even your discipleship group leader. So how, how do we develop others? We also engage. You develop others by engaging in these discipleship relationships within the context of a church community. You don't want to be a side John doing your side thing. You want to be doing discipleship within the context of a church community. Why? Because this is where you could worship together. You can model what worship looks like. You can model what giving looks like. You can model what serving looks like as you embrace the life of the church together. You don't go and, you, and isolate yourselves and become a thing of your own but you do it within the context of a relationship. Why? Because then you have things to talk about other than your, your plan. You, you can talk about the sermon. You can talk about how the Lord ministered to them in, on that Sunday morning. You can talk about what, what promptings the Holy Spirit has given them. You can talk about the giftings and how they could use it within the context of your church. There's a lot of things to talk about when you do discipleship, uh, when you do disciple making in the context of a church community. The other thing I would encourage you if you're going to develop others is to don't be afraid of heartbreak. I've been through many times, especially uh, being a mentor to men in, in addiction, there's a lot of heartbreak with that. Where you do life together for a time and all of a sudden they don't come back. You know, they, they just wander away and you call them, you text them, you email them and they cut you out. Those are the moments of heartbreak. I would encourage you, don't let the possibility of or maybe the certainty of heartbreak uh, dissuade you because Jesus felt that. Paul felt that. He just wrote about it in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Philetus and Hermogenes, those two are, were ashamed of him and left, left the faith. Sh there's people who have shipwrecked their faith because, um, not because of Paul, but because they've wandered away from sound doctrine and truth. So I would encourage you to not be afraid of that. So, it is our responsibility to make disciples that make disciples. Paul's purpose here is to remind us that emerging leaders are developed 
by being recipients of sound teaching within the context of a relationship and passing on what has been given to you within the context of relationship. So today is the day of Pentecost. Today is the day where they re- the disciples received consolation, but they also received empowerment to do this very thing, to do disciple making. And I think that it would be right for us to ask for that today. Can we do that together? Just you at home and you here in the room, posture yourself in such a way to receive. Those of you who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's trustworthy, he's good, and he's got great things for you. Turn from your sin, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Call on him to save you, and he will do that, and he will give you his spirit. And I would encourage you to to follow through with that desire that the Lord has put in your heart to to give your life to him. And so call us, email us, write to us, come and visit us. Uh, Maybe not come because social distancing. But uh, just we would love to have those conversations with you about how to come to faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. For you who are a believer, you are responsible to be a disciple, but also to make disciples. So let's ask for the empowerment to do that. Sovereign Lord, you see all of the hearts that need to be saved. You see all of the souls that need to be reached. You see all of the prolonged infancy that is in your church. Here at Truvine and also outside of this in the the body as a whole. And what we're asking for today, Lord, is an empowerment of your spirit as you did on that day of Pentecost where you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. We need power to witness and we need power to make disciples, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us. We love everything that is about you, Jesus. We love all that you desire to do in our nation. We love all that you desire to do in our world, Lord. We love your kingdom, and we want your kingdom to be advanced because your kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy and love. Your kingdom is a kingdom that overthrows the powers of darkness Your kingdom is a kingdom that releases wisdom from heaven rather than the wisdom that originates in hell. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need your touch. We need your empowerment. We need your boldness, O Lord. We need the fullness of who you are. We need your voice, O God, to speak to us who we are. We need, O Lord, for you to lead us and to guide us, Lord. We need to know. We need that tangible experience with you, God. There's so many that need to be developed. So many that need to be grown in the faith, oh Lord. So much growing that we need to. So much development that we need, God. And we need your Holy Spirit. So we receive your Spirit, God. Thank you that you are now speaking to those who are to be disciplers, who they should reach. 
Thank you, Lord, for the peace that has come upon those who have been marked by you in that day. Thank you for the hunger that you are putting in the life of the person, Lord, who is a faithful one, who wants to be discipled, who wants to be in this kind of relationship where they can grow in their faith in you, grow in their knowledge of you, and grow in ministry with you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, church, be filled. In the name of Jesus, church, receive. In the name of Jesus, receive boldness. Receive power for witnessing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We bless you. And we are grateful uh, for what our future holds together. Uh, Thank you. And don't forget to reach out or plug into the discipleship groups this week. Talk this out. Um, ask your questions and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.